Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Morning. Great to see you all here. Uh, We welcome you and uh, trust that you've already been encouraged and blessed in our worship today and through uh, coming around uh, the table of remembrance and thanksgiving as well. Uh, Thanks for being amongst us uh, and we trust as we get into the word that you're inspired and awakened to the things of the Father and the kind of relationship he wants with you. We're going to be playing around in Mark chapter 5 today. You can look that up on the, uh, the Bible app if you've got it on your phone or iPad or whatever it might be. If you're still a bit of a traditionalist, a bit of a purist, uh, we... <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Bit much, wasn't it? Okay, well, you might prefer the paper Bible, you know, whatever you fancy. Or there'll be text. If you're not used to being here, the text will be up on the screen as well. If you haven't got a Bible at home but would like one and like a conversation, we've got some Bibles up the back and you want to discover more about Jesus, take a Bible, consider that a gift. Um, and so we'd love you uh, to be immersed in that and uh, uh, growing in a relationship with Jesus. And if you've been around for a while and used to reading the Bible, keep reading it. Uh, if you've got questions about today's message, certainly come and ask them or go and explore them. Uh, more at home, there's plenty to read outside of what I offer today, so you'll be able to go and explore that. Anyway, so last week we are exploring the nature of crowds and the influence of crowds, the power of crowds. Uh, crowds kind of gain momentum, uh, they help put some energy into things, they help give some purpose, particularly crowds uh, that have purpose and a sense of unity about what they're doing and why they're gathering. There's lots of people now who would say that uh, crowds, or particularly the church crowd, is fading away. There's lots of evidence to say the sense of gathering for gathering's sake, just because that's what we've done, is certainly dying. And lots of churches that say, oh, we'll just focus on Sundays, uh, are dying or dead. Um, and so that's, it's, there's churches dying all over the world if we just stay focused on our only method of mission being around Sunday. However, I still believe gathering is important. We believe gathering is important. It's one of the things that we want to do on a Sunday is not just gather for gathering's sake, but to empower, to release, to inspire, to awaken and to remind us of the kind of relationship that Jesus uh, desires with us and reveals about the nature of God. So that as we go about our weeks, we're reminded that we're not alone and we're reminded that we're part of the mission that God has called us to. So gathering isn't dying, but gathering without purpose is dying. But crowds influence and stir momentum and energy um, and give power or sense of momentum. They can be a, a place of expectation and anticipation, a place where we get excited about moving into something because we have a reason, if you think particularly around a football crowd or the Hong Kong protest crowds or the uh, Extinction Rebellion crowds that we've seen um, grow over the last uh, fortnight in terms of the climate change movement. Crowds gain momentum. They have some energy around them. The other side of it is, um, if they have purpose, it's easy to, uh, it might be easy to affect change, it might be easy to move from some sense of purpose to some riots that we've seen in crowds, or it might simply be, hey, we find ourselves here and we're just going to go with the crowd. So we actually become mindless in being part of the crowd. And we want to guard against that. That can be a really dangerous place to not be giving any thought to being mindless. It is easy to simply get caught up 
in the crowd. It's an easy thing to happen or even just get lost in the crowd. See, if we, if, it's, if we get caught up in the crowd or if we get lost in the crowd, that can become an easy place to complain about the crowd. Or it requires less effort or less engagement or less um, connection or less commitment from me. If the crowd just does it, oh, I'll just go along for the ride. Or if the crowd does it, oh, they didn't do it how I'd like it. That's not how I would want it to happen. Never mind the fact that you've never been part of organising anything. Never mind the fact that you've never said anything about it. You're just the crowd. Well done you. Gold star for participation. We give out participation awards these days. It's important to build up your self-esteem. Um, sorry, a little aside. We can blame the crowd. It was the crowd's fault. They didn't see me, they didn't notice me, they didn't recognise me. But here's the thing about crowds. I don't know if you've ever walked, and I've noticed this um, in, in various organisations. I've noticed this in sporting clubs, I've noticed this in community groups, and I've noticed this in, in churches. So you can walk into a group or a crowd of 20 people and feel unrecognised, unseen, unwelcome. And you can walk into a crowd, a room of 100 people, 200 people, and feel like you've got an immediate connection. Yeah? See, sometimes we talk about crowds around the size. Oh, the bigger the church gets, the harder it is to connect. Because you're just going with the crowd. Because it's easy to blame people. But most of us have this sense of, at some point or another, and regardless of the size of the crowd or what kind of crowd it is, most of us have had a sense at some point that um, we are not being seen or noticed. But our greatest desire in this is to be seen. So we have this desire, some of us will come into a crowd and we'll feel a little bit anxious, a little bit overwhelmed. Some of us might be sitting here today feeling a bit overwhelmed by the sheer size of the place, by the amount of people that are in a room. And we can sit in a corner really easily and we can disconnect and disengage. And then we'll say, well, that didn't work for us. And we get confused. But our greatest desire, we, we get anxious and we get overwhelmed and so we disconnect and we isolate ourselves. Oh, no one saw me. No one noticed me. It's a real tension that we live in. See, being a part, we can be a part of the church crowd our whole life <laughs> and get this and never encounter Jesus. That's a sad way to live, incidentally. But I know a number of people who I've spoken to and in the life of ministry here of 18 years, we've sat and they've talked about going to church their whole life and we talk about what it means to follow Jesus and they've got no idea. And how Jesus influences that. Just as much though, we can go through life and we tick the boxes. You know, we go to work every day, we pay the bills for our family, we've looked after our kids, we've looked after our grandkids, we, we participate in community groups, uh, we've been a good person and we may never encounter Jesus. And that's a sad place to be. Hey, so if, you're, if this is a new experience for you, we trust that today you're awakened to something new and something revolutionary, something that transfer all of us. I pray that today that this word would transform our life and transform the way in which we gaze. So we're going to read through Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. And we're going to invite you to uh, look at the scriptures, 
Uh, write notes, underline keywords, and again, I'm going to give you a taste. There's lots of different places that we could go, and maybe God will reveal something to you. Hang on to that, chew on that, reflect on that for the rest of the week. Um, I'd rather you stay where the Spirit of God has you and something that He's doing in you than trying to keep up with me. Uh, because if, if God wants to do something completely different than what I might have prepared, then you need to trust Him more than me. So Mark chapter 25, uh, not 25, Mark chapter 5 verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, uh, that's an interesting kind of dynamic because uh, Mark chapter 4 earlier, he got in the boat, he'd gone to the other side. The other side being the place that not a lot of people go, especially if you're righteous or synagogue leaders, you don't go to the other side of the lake. So Jesus is been to the other side of the lake uh, where the demon-possessed are, the dangerous are, so to speak, those other crowds uh, that nobody wants to associate with, and he's kind of come back um, as well. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, I want you to hold that story there. We're going to come back and visit Jairus again in a couple of weeks, but it's important that we hold this story and I need to tell part of this story and you need to see this to be able to get some of the context and the understanding about where we're going to go today. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. That's twice the large crowd's been spoken about, to press against Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Some translations say this woman was hemorrhaging for 12 years. Now some of us, at least 50% of us here, don't actually understand the ramifications or the implications of a woman bleeding for 12 years or hemorrhaging for 12 months. We barely understand the ramifications, implications of a woman bleeding once a month. And even the fact that I would say that would be making some generations very uncomfortable so imagine what it might be like for this woman only 50 i actually did i I didn't think ahead far enough i should have had a woman teaching on this text but i couldn't escape it when i got here either so it's uncomfortable and we don't fully understand or comprehend the implications of discomfort or um, the pain that ladies go through and i was you know, I learned in youth ministry. Um, I've, I've got four daughters, so I've learned a little bit more about the monthly cycle, probably more than I ever thought, I would imagine. But growing up, it was something that was very private. And some of you sitting here today might be kind of, what's he talking about? Why is he talking about this? But I, I, growing up, we, we didn't talk. I grew up in three boys in the home too, and a mum and dad, you know. Um, but... <laughs> So, but we didn't talk about this, it was very private and some of you would still think it's very private. We don't talk about it, we don't hide about it and yet scripture draws it out quite clearly that this is an unnatural experience to be hemorrhaging or bleeding for 12 years. I worked out in youth ministry that if you were with a, with a group and you talked out um, in, uh, you noticed a girl was a bit quieter and you went up and said, is everything alright? And she said, I'm fine. I worked out very quickly, you just left it alone. Because I like to solve problems. Eh, there's some problems you just can't solve, Son. So, and I've worked out 
and no offence, and please don't come up and give me any more information that's required. But I've also worked out when some ladies uh, say they're going to a hospital to have surgery, all the best, I'm praying for you. I don't want to know anymore. Sorry? No, that, and some, of you, some of you want to share more than I want to hear. But... <laughs> Anyway, it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. So only 50% of us can actually imagine how awkward and uncomfortable it might be for this woman. That was a slight distraction, wasn't it? Uh, verse 26, she had suffered a great deal. And this is, this is heartbreaking. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Oh, man. Oh, man. What a heartbreaking place to be. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You're a freak, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, well, just, I mean, you, know, you don't walk through the crowd and go, Who's touching your clothes? You don't realize, like if you're in a crowd, you get touched, you don't go, Who touched my clothes? You just keep walking, don't you? It was a good kind of freak. It was a, you see the people crowding against you. See, his disciples thought he was a freak. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So this woman, as much as we've talked about the discomfort and as much as we might have felt awkward talking about uh, a lady's menstrual cycle and, and the monthly challenges and the discomfort of that, this woman under law says that she is unclean. Now unclean in this law, and we struggle to comprehend this, this means that anyone touches her, they too are unclean. If anyone sits on the same seat, lies on the same bed, touches the same cup, they too are unclean. So my suspicion as this woman walked through the crowd wasn't that she was just feeling unclean, wasn't that she was just hoping that nobody else would notice her because by law she could be taken out of the city and stoned. Wrap your head around this, right? If Jesus notices someone touching him, what are the chances this unclean woman has made so many others in the crowd unclean without them knowing? So you can imagine not just the anxiety around bleeding for 12 years or hemorrhaging, however you want to experience that or frame that, but the anxiety of being in a crowd. Who will see me? Who will notice me? Who will recognize me? Who will point me out? Who will challenge me? Have you ever felt like that? In this culture, and my understanding is, and I didn't see too much research, if she had been married, the husband could have divorced her. 
And yet she's a woman of resources. So she might have been, but it's unusual for a woman to have the resources to pay for a doctor, especially over 12 years. So either she's still got a family who loves her or she's got a wealth of resources that has sustained that care. But she's spent, I mean, she's spent emotionally, she's spent physically, she's spent financially. She has nothing left. So you can imagine her anxiety walking through the crowd. You can imagine the sense of isolation, even in the midst of the crowd. You can imagine the sense of exhaustion. And some of us don't have to imagine too hard. We can feel it sitting here right now. Some of us sitting here might be thinking, if only they knew me, if only they really saw me, what would they really think? How would they point me out? What would they say about me? Would they welcome me or would they cast me aside? They're the questions that sometimes a crowd can bring, especially if we're uncertain or afraid. What I find astounding about this woman is that she could have sat at home and thought about it. I wonder if Jesus could do something about this. But she chose to get up and move towards it. And even when she got there, she could have stayed in the crowd. But something stirred her to go further, to push harder. She could have believed that Jesus could heal her, but she knew the law and knew the risks. See, sometimes we have to think outside our experiences of the past to be able to encounter something new. And in fact, I would suggest that's where we discover the greatest work of Jesus and the greatest heart of God is when we're willing to step out and say, I've got nothing left. Whatever I've been doing, however I've been doing it, however I've tried to manage it, whatever I've been told is no longer working in this box. I need to step out and reach out for something new. But that takes courage. And even a sense of humility as we realise whatever I've been doing, I'm spent. I've got nothing left. See, this woman was stirred to believe that Jesus would and could heal her despite the crowd. But I wonder as she got up there, I wonder if she was kind of moving through the crowd, kind of hoping that no one would notice her, head down maybe, looking and just moving, manoeuvring her way through the crowd and edging her way, being careful about how much she did bump into other people so she didn't get noticed. I wonder if she thought about speaking directly to Jesus before she heard the synagogue leader Jairus come to Jesus. So this sets up a real tension in this story because on the one hand, in the crowd, pressing against Jesus is this man who is a synagogue leader, He's a male, uh, he's honoured, he's celebrated, he's publicly recognised and he's clean, pure. And I wonder if, if in my imagination that as this woman was moving her way through the crowd, she looked up for this brief moment and she saw a man who she would have recognised as a local community leader and synagogue leader and she had every intention of speaking to Jesus until she saw a clean male community celebrated, recognised in the community, and she thought, no, nah, can't talk to Jesus now. 
So have you, have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, and I know some of us have, a lot of us have, have you ever thought, oh, I'm not as bad as them? Oh yes, I'm suffering like this and I'm struggling with this, but that's not as bad as them. So the greatest barrier to encountering Jesus, I think, is comparison. Oh, you know, no, 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 I'm doing okay. My marriage is falling apart. I've got no management finances. I don't know how to build a relationship with my children, but I'm not as bad as them. So I'm okay. I don't need to come to Jesus. I don't like my job. I don't even like myself very much, but you know, I'm doing okay. And why? Because oh, that person's worse than me. They've got a worse. And maybe I don't deserve it as much. So a woman sees the sense of hopelessness grow, if you like, because what does it look like for a synagogue leader, well-respected, honoured, celebrated, publicly recognised male to be interrupted by a woman who is dishonoured, unclean, without position or authority? And I know my internal log would be, I don't want to be seen as a groupie. My internal log would be, they're more significant, mine is nothing compared. Who am I? Maybe it would go so far to say, oh, it doesn't really matter, I've put up with it this long. <laughs> I don't matter. Except this woman's faith, might not be a conversation, but maybe it changes and a plan's change midway. And I know that's poetic license and maybe that's too much imagination. But bear with me. This woman's faith has convinced her that just to touch the clothes of Jesus would heal her. If only I could touch the cloak. If only I could just touch the edge. If only I could experience a little bit of Jesus. And as she touched, I mean, this is quite a dramatic I, I can't even imagine. As she touches the clothes, she feels the change in her body. She feels the power go through her and she feels something in her body rearrange and click. Or I don't, I don't know what that would be like. I find that hard to comprehend that. But she felt it. And it's it's astonishing that in this moment she just reaches out just to touch the edge. She's not even demanding too much, really. <laughs> she's noticed. And she's still not noticed by the crowd, which in itself just blows me away. If the crowd is pressing against Jesus. What? Someone didn't notice this woman? Yeah, they did. It was Jesus who noticed her faith and a courage to reach out and just touch him with a desire to be restored. But see, Jesus takes that desire further. This is an extraordinary dialogue. Did you hear again how Jesus addresses this woman? Did you hear it or not? What, did it, what was the first word he said to you? daughter can you imagine what that would have done for her in here 
Can you imagine what that would be like to be, have been ostracised, isolated, fearful of the crowd, fearful of being found out, rejected? Can you imagine what it would be like to hear those words from Jesus? Daughter, you are part of my family. You are welcome. I see you. I know you. I love you. You are part of my home. Some of us need to hear that. Daughter, son, child, I see you. I see you. So imagine standing there as Jesus asks the question to go back a little bit and he says, who is it that touched me? Imagine standing there in that moment. You've, you're already anxious enough. Your heart's already beating, but you're thrilled that you feel this freedom in your body that you haven't felt for years. And all of a sudden, Jesus looks around and he says, uh, who touched me? <laughs> what are you going to do? And see, that's, that's the thing. I think sometimes we, we can come to Jesus and we want, we want Jesus to fix us. But I think the real gift is the deeper work that Jesus wants to do and the welcome that he has for us. And the deeper work comes when we are brave enough, humble enough to come at his feet and say, Jesus, this is my story. She comes and she tells him the whole truth, the scripture says. Wow. And we should never be so afraid of the crowd that are not willing to come to Jesus and tell him the whole truth. Because before she knew Jesus as healer, now she has to decide if we trust him. And I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes in our culture and even in our experience in the church, we're so interested in Jesus fixing it and changing our circumstance that we miss the deeper work he wants to do in relationship with us. I believe Jesus can do that. I believe Jesus can change and heal. I believe, I've seen it. I believe Jesus can restore finances. I believe Jesus can heal physical bodies. I believe Jesus can still cast out unclean spirits and demons. I have no illusion of that, but sometimes I fear that we chase that and we miss the deeper sense and opportunity to come into a deeper relationship with Jesus and say, Jesus, this is the whole truth. Because that's the work he really wants to do in us. See, some of us carry our burdens for years, emotional, physical, spiritual, and you want to know healing. And there's some sitting here today, I know, who have longed for healing. And I've got no explanation as to why that hasn't come. It's not about how big our faith is. It's, I don't know. But I do believe that Jesus is continuing to do a deeper work in us if we're willing to trust him and come back to him and seek him. So you might even be here today believing that you don't matter. And maybe you look around and you think others around you know more. They have more right to be here. Maybe they have more knowledge or maybe they're more important or maybe you're not as bad as them. But something brought you here today and there's a stirring of belief that something different could happen and maybe you're anxious about being here but I want you to hear the welcome of Jesus. Daughter, son, child, I see you. You will be found. 
And I hope that you might know that regardless of your story and whatever you might be sitting here with today and the anxiety and the fear that you might have. But maybe you're sitting here today and you're not carrying an overwhelming sense of burdens. Maybe you're feeling pretty good about life. Maybe you feel like, um, you know, you've, you've got yourself in a great place with Jesus. I want to encourage us today too. Because I was reminded, convicted and challenged as I read this story that Jesus walked with intentional interruptions. So he was invited to go to visit the synagogue leader. He was invited to go with Jairus because Jairus had an issue. Now that, need, that required some urgency, some intent, some purpose. And the crowds pressed against him because they want to see it all, they want to get excited about it. But there's, I wonder how many people didn't actually reach out or ask Jesus for help in amongst the crowd because they just got caught up with it. But for those of us who maybe we've had, had this deepening encounter and we're growing and maturing, I want to remind us that the greatest desire of Jesus is to continue to be encountering and restoring and healing and transforming lives. And he knew his yes. See, sometimes I think we are so overwhelmed by our busyness and our work or the expectations or our families that we lose sight of our yes in Jesus. And so we say no to a whole lot of stuff that maybe is God's yes for us. We need to know our yes. And our yes needs to be, if we're faithful followers of Jesus, growing and maturing in faith, our yes needs to be bringing that encounter of Jesus to someone else, bringing that moment of healing of Jesus to someone else, bringing the truth of Jesus to someone else, going outside our own comforts, um, our own sense of comfort or our own sense of rules or what we've done in the past and breaking out of that and stepping beyond whatever anyone else might say about us or think about us and pursue the heart of Jesus, that the heart of Jesus would be our yes in our workplace, in our homes, in our finances. And sometimes we miss out on this deep sense of peace because we refuse to say yes to Jesus first. And we just live our life in distractions. So Jesus always said yes to the needy, to the outcasts, to the socially unacceptable, to those who came humbly. He often said no to those who wanted to draw him aside or to those who wanted him to feel, fit their expectations and their mind because he knew his yes. Do you know your yes? Interruptions are inconvenient. Have you noticed that? I just tried to think of a, a few moments. You know the child cries just after... When, the, when does the child cry the most? Just after you've sat down at the end of the day with a cuppa. Guaranteed. You know that moment when you just want to just you just want to nick in and out of the supermarket. Yeah, you know, you're already in a rush. You've already got a list of twenty five things to do, and that's the moment someone wants to stop and talk to you. Ah, now you're getting it. We know that moment when you're about to start a big project, or you're meant to you start that thing that you're meant to do every week, or you know you've been putting that off. You know that moment you've been procrastinating for like three hours and you're finally knuckled in and you start to do the job and someone knocks on your door? That moment. Now it could be a distraction, no doubt about it. 
But what if it was an intentional, if what if it was to, that we were to walk with intentional interruptions in our minds? That that could be a yes to Jesus. Because my suspicion is we get more frustrated by interruptions that could actually be turned around into encounters with Jesus. Because Jesus knew his kingdom, yes. And he knew that God had control of Jairus and his daughter. But we're so busy trying to run around and keep up with the crowd or keep in control of everything that we've got to do that we lose sight of the yes in God's kingdom. Dare I say we might not even trust God enough with what might be happening next, that we feel like we have to fix it all, rather than partnering in relationship with Jesus. The woman found healing, as the, can I ask the team to come back up, please? The woman found healing because of her faith, but she discovered peace in a personal encounter with Jesus. Go in peace, your faith has healed you. She might have been healed and she could have gone back home and had that healing and experienced that healing and lived in that healing and yet Jesus did the deeper work of peace. And really, we don't just want to know healing. If we were to be honest with ourselves, if we were humble enough to be honest with ourselves and we were humble enough to be honest with God, we want to know peace. We want to know freedom. We want to know that we're seen. We want to know that we count. We want to know that if we reach out in the darkness that we will be found and the light of the sun will break through. That's the deeper work of Jesus. But we have to humble ourselves before him. And if you're here today and you're wondering how you might encounter Jesus, I want to ask you or plead with you or invite you simply ask Jesus to make himself known to you. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you've brought a friend or you know a friend, you might be the person that they need that will help them encounter Jesus. But please don't just be part of the crowd pressing against to see what Jesus does next. My hope and my prayer and my desire is that we might be a community where we will be found and encounter the healing, the peace and the restoration of Jesus. Thank you.